Welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. We're starting a new series, uh, and we're going to be going through the book of 1 Corinthians through much of this year, if not all of this year. The book is 16 chapters long, and as you saw Dahlia uh, read, she only read three verses. So we, I don't know how long this book is going to take us. I'm, I'm currently mapping it all out for the entire however long it takes. Um, but uh, we're going to be going through this book that deals with the church. And for us, as a church in this city, I really feel like God in 2017 has a couple things in store for us. One is discipleship. And that, that may sound weird because you're like, yeah, well, if you're a Christian and, and you're familiar with the church, you're like, yeah, churches should be about discipleship. Um, if you're not a believer, what that means is uh, we just want to go deeper in our faith. We want to learn more about Jesus. We want to learn how to love Jesus more, how to love our city more. We want to learn how to be more like Jesus. That's discipleship, just learning how to be like Jesus. And uh, we want to put a huge emphasis on that this year, how to read our Bible, how to, how to just be more like Jesus, how to live in your spiritual gifts, what are your spiritual gifts, how to, how to activate those not just in the church, but as you are the church outside in your workplaces and your neighborhoods and, and your schools and wherever you are. And, and so discipleship will be a theme running throughout this entire book, uh, throughout much of this year, but also... I believe that this year as a church, God want, God's going God's to gonna give us a prophetic voice for our city. And what I mean by that is we're going to have to hear some hard things as a church. This is what the book of 1 Corinthians is about. Paul's writing this letter, and the church is hearing a bunch of hard things. They're not doing things how they should. And so in order for us to be a prophetic voice for our city and our community— we're going to have to hear those hard things, and God's going, to, God's going to form us and transform us and mold us and conform us to Christ's image through that. So those will be two things that, we'll go, that you'll see as common threads throughout the entire series as we move forward. Uh, but we're calling this series Rethink, and this series is really about rethinking things that maybe you thought you knew about Jesus, about the church. Uh, about discipleship, about the scriptures, and, and helping us to, to look at the scriptures and say, what, actually, what does it really say? What is it really saying to us about, and each week we have different topics, so about identity, destiny next week, about sin, about evangelism, about sexuality, about uh, the church. Uh, I mean, there's, there'll be a different topic each week around this theme as we walk through the book. And this book, this letter that Paul writes to the church at Corinth, is, it's, it's made for this because he goes through all different, all different topics. And this morning, like I said, we're talking about identity. Uh, so rethinking identity and what that means for us. And uh, our vision statement at Trinity Life Church is discovering identity and destiny in Christ in order to influence our city 
in the world. And we love this vision statement. We love it. Like, Daniel and I think it's the best thing we ever did. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's perfect for who we are as a church. It's perfect for a city. Um, and I'll go into this later, but there's a distinct order to the vision statement. And so this morning and over the next three weeks, we'll talk about identity. Next week, we'll talk about destiny. And then the third week, we'll talk about influence. And I'm going to break up that vision statement for us as we go through 1 Corinthians. So, um, yeah, let's just get started. All right. What if, wait, what if you met somebody for the first time and the first thing they said to you was, who are you? So you stick out your hand and they just say, who are you? What would you say? After you were kind of like, well, that's weird. What would you say after that? If you were like, oh, wait, you're serious. <laughs> who are you? Would you say, would you answer with your occupation or your career? Would you say, well, I'm an architect. I'm a nurse. I'm a teacher. I'm a pastor. Uh, I'm a construction worker. I'm a mechanic. I'm, is that how, you would, is that how you, you would answer? Or would you answer with uh, maybe uh, your life status? I'm unemployed. I'm married. I'm a student. I'm divorced, I'm single. Um, would you answer with your ethnicity or your nationality? I'm Canadian, I'm Tamil, I'm Chinese, I'm fill in the blank, Thai, I'm Hmong. Would you answer with maybe a life struggle? I'm a cancer patient, I'm a cancer survivor. I'm uh, schizophrenic, I'm an alcoholic. There's a bunch of different ways you can answer that, right? Who are you? Would you answer, or you can answer with an accomplishment. I'm a millionaire. I'm not. <laughs> I'm an MBA. I'm a CPA. Or I'm a business owner. Now, how would, you, how would you answer that? The way you would answer that question, and what immediately popped into your mind, says a lot about where you're placing your identity. And your answer could even be a combination of those. Like, I could say, I'm a Thai-American pastor who started a church who has a PhD, who misses surfing a lot, who loves sports. Like, I could put my identity in any one of those things, like a passion, a something I miss. Uh, you know, you could even put it in your sexuality. I mean, I'm, I'm gay, I'm straight. I'm, there's so many things we can put our identity in. And the way you answer that question, who are you, says a lot about where you're placing that. Your identity, so I have a couple statements for you. Your identity is the lens through which you view life. And I think we have that up here. 
And there's another statement, we all have the same unique identity in Christ. And what we're going to see here is Paul puts his identity somewhere very specific. And we tend to put our identity in different things. But what happens when that thing changes? What happens when you lose your job or you switch career paths? What happens when you um, get an illness? What happens when your marriage falls apart or a child dies? What happens when your parents, your parents pass or, it, or you fail out of school? Like, when that changes, then, then you're like, who am I? What, what person am I? Where, where, where was I supposed to be going in life? But we all have this issue of identity. And your identity is this lens through which you view your life. And we all have the same unique identity in Christ. And I want you to hear that this morning. That your identity is how you view life. It's that lens. But then we all have the same unique identity. Now, if you're following that statement, it seems paradoxical. Because I'm saying all of us have the same unique identity in Christ. Like, how can it be unique if we all have the same identity? And that's because the uniqueness of your identity doesn't depend on you. It depends on the uniqueness of the person you're putting your identity in, on the uniqueness of Christ. And Christ is the only Son of God and he's not like anything else we've ever seen. He's not like anyone else we've ever known. And your unique identity depends on who he is. And the beauty of that is we all, if you're a Christian, have that identity in Christ Jesus. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, you have the opportunity to put your identity in Christ. And he's so much bigger than all of us that he can, that he can take all of that and we can all have this unique identity in Christ. Now, all the things that I just mentioned, your occupation, your, uh, your life struggles, your, uh, your uh, accomplishments, uh, all those things, uh, they're not all bad things. Um, we'll talk about all those things when I talk about influence in week three. But what we tend to do is take how we feel like we can influence and we make that our identity. And that's why I say the order is so important, because we need to get our identity founded first. That leads to knowing our destiny in Christ, which I'll talk about next week, but it's the same for everybody too. And then our influence flows out of those, those two things, okay? Um, so when you get, when you're a, when you define yourself by your accomplishments, then you're taking your influence, how God wants you to influence, and you're putting it where your identity should be. And when that, if, some, if, that's get, if that gets taken away, then you get shaken up. So when our identity is in Christ, though, and we, we have the same unique identity in Christ, then we're putting on a solid rock. I love the song we just sang, Come Thou Fount. Uh, it has this weird line in it. It says, uh, here I raise my uh, Ebenezer, right? And you're like... Ebenezer, like we're raising up an old man. We're like, yeah, Ebenezer. Um, it's, it's so weird. Like if you don't, if you don't know what that means, um, and I didn't know what it meant until I went to seminary because <laughs> so, I learned Hebrew. And it's a Hebrew word um, that means stone of help. 
And it's saying, God, you are our stone of help, our stone who is solid, who cannot be moved, and you're here to help us. So when you place your identity in, in Christ, it's a solid foundation. So let's, let's jump into the passage. Uh, this is just the first three verses of 1 Corinthians, and Paul starts out by saying his name. He just says, Paul. Okay, I don't need this right now because we're going to stop there. So he just says, Paul. <laughs> and and here's, the, here's the thing. Paul used to be called something else. He used to be called Saul. And this is a picture of Saul. So this is coming from Philippians chapter 3. And this is a picture of who Saul was. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And he starts listing the things that I listed earlier. He says, circumcised on the eighth day. I don't... <laughs> that sounds weird if you're not, <laughs> if you're, if you're not familiar with the scriptures, because um, you're probably like, why well, was circumcised on the first day? But, <laughs> so that sounds... That sounds really weird, but it was, <laughs> it was a specifically Hebrew uh, Jewish thing that uh, he's saying that we honored when I was born. So circumcised on the eighth day, it goes back to the Old Testament, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, uh, which this is his identity, this is his nationality, this is his um, particular ethnicity, right? A Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisees. So he's saying, as to the law, I was blame. I was a Pharisee, I was the one who studied the law the most. And as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, he says, I was so zealous that I persecuted people. <laughs> I persecuted the church because I thought they were detracting from this God that I knew. And he says, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He said, I followed the letter of the law to the T, and I was blameless. And that was Saul. Okay, that's who he used to be. I mean, this is who he is now. Same passage, verses, the next few verses, he says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. For the sake of Christ. So he had worked all his life for all these things, all these accomplishments, who he was, all those things. And he says, whatever I had, I counted it as loss. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. And that word in Greek is actually a really strong word. It's almost like a curse word. He says, I, these things are like... They're just trash and rubbish. And, and he says, so in order that I may gain Christ, be found in him. And look at this righteousness part, because he just said, my old life, I was, I was righteous according to the law. But he says, that's not actually righteousness. He says, now I don't have a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. He's done nothing to earn this righteousness. It's been given to him the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I, that's not a very appealing thing. 
He's becoming like Christ in his death. Who, who wants that? But he looks at it as an immense value that he's going to be sharing Christ's sufferings. How many of you, when you came to faith in Christ, said, I can't wait to share in Christ's sufferings? Like, yes, I want, to be, I want to be a Christian. There's this guy, his name is Michael Ramsden. He is like, he works with RZIM. It's this ministry all around the world that, that um, uh, does a bunch of cool stuff. Um, and when he came to Jesus... The next day, he, was, he, was, he went and told his friends, um, and he was an atheist, I believe. He, he finally starts believing in, in Jesus, and, and he goes and tells his friends, hey, so hey, guys, like, he's really, like, mellow. He's like, hey, guys, I decided to be a Christian. And they're like, okay. <laughs> and he says, so I'm going to be miserable the rest of my life, just to let you know. <laughs> like, that's what he thought. <laughs> um, but... Paul's saying here, like, I became a Christian, and I'm going to share in Christ's sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And he looks at it as more value than anything he could ever own or accomplish in this life. And so that's our juxtaposition between Saul and Paul. Now, the, the unique thing about this is a lot of times God changes people's names in the, in the Bible. So Abram goes to Abraham, and there's a significance in the name change. Uh, exalted father to father of many nations, I believe, is, is, the, uh, is, is what Abram to Abraham is. Uh, his, his wife gets a name change too, Sarai to Sarah. Uh, Jacob, his name gets changed to Israel. We see this all throughout the scriptures. So names mean a lot in the Bible. Um, but actually, Paul does this himself. A lot of people think God changed his name when he, when he was convert, converted in Acts chapter 9, when he came to Christ, but he still called Saul for f- four more chapters. So it's over a couple of years that he still goes by the name Saul. The reason Paul changes his name is because he begins to realize this identity. He begins to realize what his identity is in Christ, and his name actually means little, smaller. It's, it's like diminutive. It, it, he starts to recognize that he is, he is just weak and Christ makes him strong and he and he's, has this calling on his life. And, uh, and so he starts to recognize and realize his identity. Um, if you guys have ever met my Emerson, so she's my uh, six-year-old um, She's so amazing. She's so beautiful. So uh, she has such a pure heart, which she gets from me. <laughs> she <laughs> she's so compassionate. She doesn't get that from me. She gets that from Missy. <laughs> she's just full of uh, life, and she's so sweet. Um, when she first started school, like most kids, she was a little timid and shy and. Um, scared on some days. Some days she would cry. And, um, and uh, when I started taking her to school, I would, uh, before she would go into class, I would, I would sit there, I'd pray with her, and I'd say, sweetie, if you get scared, if you get shy, if you're, if, or not shy, if you're timid to go in, um, then just know that Jesus is with you. Just say, Jesus, I know you're with me. I trust you. And then just walk in that faith. 
And I would say that to her every morning that she would feel that way and we would, we would pray and I would say that to her. And eventually I stopped doing it because she got, she got used to the class and she, she went in there and she was fine. Then one day, um, she just got scared again all of a sudden. She just didn't want to go into class. And um, I had kind of forgotten that I, would pray, that I prayed that with her. But as I'm taking her to class, I'm like, sweetie, you got to go. I think I had to go. And I'm like, hey, we got to go into class. And, and I heard her say before she stepped over the, the threshold of the door, she said, I trust you, Jesus. And then she walked in. And I was like, oh, that's so amazing. Like she began to realize her identity in Christ, who Jesus was for her and to her, that she could just trust in Jesus. And she knew that, that, that um, he was with her. And she could just take a step of faith into the unknown, into something that was scary for her and intimidating. And, uh, and now, now that she, she knows that, she's realizing that more, um, uh, we found a few weeks ago, we talked about what her name means, or I guess a few months ago, I can't remember. We talked about what her, her name means, and Emerson actually means brave. And so now I tell her, um, now I remind her sometimes of her namesake. I say, you know, your name, your name means brave. And it's just a sweet reminder of her, uh, for her, of her identity in Christ. She has that foundation. I say, your, your name means brave. And she's like, yeah, you know, like, that's, that's who I am in, in Christ. And it's just a sweet reminder of her identity there. Uh, what's funny is Reagan wanted to know her, what her name means too. Are you ready for this? <laughs> her name means little ruler. <laughs> she prefers we call her little queen. <laughs> We're still working on her identity. <laughs> <laughs> she, but for, for Saul, when he changes his name to Paul, it's because Jesus changed everything for him. Jesus changed everything in his life. Jesus puts him on this, on this track. I hear music. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, okay. Shh. Turn off your radio. So um, Jesus puts him on this track that changes the, traje- the trajectory of his entire life. And everything has changed for him. All those things that he listed, they're rubbish to him, he says. And all these other things that the world doesn't understand, suffering for Jesus and um, being like him in his death, he says, those are the things I value now. Has Jesus changed everything for you? If you're a Christian, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, Jesus needs to change everything. And when he's your identity, when your identity is founded on him, he will do that. But the problem is we still find our identity in these other things. We still place our identity in our schooling or our job or how much money we make or our relationship status or our family, or whatever it is. And Paul says, those things look like rubbish compared to the surpassing worth of my Lord Jesus Christ. And he puts all of his identity in who Jesus is. He, uh, so that was the first word, 
Paul, <laughs> he goes on and he says, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now, don't read in that. You see that word called, and I was actually, I was talking to uh, John about it, about this, uh, this week. Um, you see this word called, and we think, oh, well, Paul has this specific calling. Don't read specificity in there or a unique calling yet, okay? Now, Paul does have a unique calling, um, but here all I want you to see is that when Paul says he's called, it's not unique to him. A calling is not unique to Paul. If you are in Christ, you're called already, okay? Paul says this in the very next verse in chapter 2. He says, he says, to the church, we're all called to be saints together, and then he goes on. And so I want you to recognize that if you are in Christ, then you're already called, and much of your calling is in this book already, okay? Now, Again, we'll get to influence, and that's where specificity happens in your influence and how God has created you, your personality, your giftings, your passions, all those things are an influence. But your identity starts with this calling in Christ that we all share, this same unique calling, the same unique identity in Christ Jesus. So he says here, following that, by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now, our kind of Western minds and our cultural lens, we read apostle, and you could get Paul is asserting his ecclesial office, or he's asserting his uh, status as this apostle of the church. But if you read the Bible, if you read uh, what comes after this passage, if you read Philippians, if you read the rest of 1 Corinthians, all of Paul's writings, you know that apostle for him isn't a status. He's not pulling rank here. It's actually the complete opposite for, for Paul. It's him recognizing his weakness. It's him recognizing that he's sharing in Christ's sufferings. It's him recognizing that he's uh, dying with Christ. He's dying to himself. He's crucified with Christ. It's him recognizing that he does not deserve this and that he's a servant of the church. And, and he says here, this is in Christ Jesus. This is all because of Jesus. And he places uh, all of his, all of this, uh, this identity in Christ Jesus. And, and it's crazy that it's all based on weakness. When Paul mentions apostles a few times later in 1 Corinthians, and two of the times he references as, he references he references it as apostles being the last. Another time, he says the apostles are first, um, but he's talking about it in the context of spiritual gifts and how apostles serve in that, in that manner. But he says apostles, we're, the only reason I'm, he's saying that is because I'm saying I'm weak, I'm nothing, I'm only here because Christ has done something in me. And that's, that's what identity in Christ is. It's not, like, we're Christians. For those of you guys who have placed your identity in Christ, for those of you guys who haven't done that and you're wondering, like, who, this, who Christians are, like, it's not because of anything from us. Like, Jesus didn't save you, call you, because of any worth in you. 
It's because you recognize the lack of it in you. It's because you recognize, like Paul did, that we couldn't do it ourselves and that we didn't want to. And he goes on and he puts this calling in a very, very uh, unique context. He says, uh, And our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those in every place. So let me, let me walk through this with you guys real quick. So, to our brother, and I've, so I put my commentary in parentheses. Um, so when he says to our brother, it's this reference to the church being the family of God. He recognizes that it's not just me doing this. I'm with my brother Sosthenes. This is a family. <coughs> We're doing this together. And then he says, to the church of God that is in Corinth, they're united in their city to, to all Christians. He says, like, at that time, they probably had groups meeting all over the city. And he says, this is to the church of God in Corinth. You guys are united in the faith here, just like us. We're not the only church in our city. We're united with the church that's meeting just a couple blocks south of us, a few blocks uh, west of us. There's churches meeting uh, block east of us right now. Like, we're all united, uh, like the church in Corinth. He says, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, meaning they're set apart for God's purpose uh, through holiness. And he says, call to be saints together with all those who in every place, and this is uniting Christians everywhere now, all those in every place who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that one phrase now actually links believers throughout all time. So this phrase, call upon the name of our Lord, is a phrase that Paul is taking directly from the Old Testament, from the Hebrew Scriptures. It's a phrase from the book of Joel. It's a phrase from uh, the, begin the beginning of the Scriptures. The prophets use it. Um, and... And so when Paul uses it, it's very distinct because if you've read through the Bible, um, you, and, and Paul's banking on this, that you're going to recognize this terminology here. And so it connects the entirety of the scriptures for all those who believe through all generations. And then he says, both their Lord and ours. And so your calling, your identity in Christ, isn't actually individual. It's way more than that. It's corporate. It's collective. It's, it's united in a family, in a household of God. It's together, right? And that's the beauty of it. You know, our culture says you need to be independent. You need to be self-sufficient. You need to be able to um, make it on your own, two feet, things like that. Those are all terms our, our culture uses. The Bible actually says the opposite. The Bible says you were actually created for community. You are created for it. I talked with uh, Julie about it this week. I don't know if she's, there she is, yeah. Um, like you were created for community. That's the beauty of it. You don't have to do it on your own. You weren't designed to do it on your own. It's actually not even fun to do it on your own. Like we should, we should be uh, excited that God has said, no, you're created for community. This starts way back in Genesis when God says it's not good that man should be alone. A lot of times we kind of mix that with a marriage reference. Marriage happens a few verses later. The initial impetus of that is that it, it's not good 
that we're not in community. And God is establishing community right up front. And, and Paul is saying, this is important. We're with all the churches everywhere, in our city, all over. you actually united to all believers throughout all generations. And the writer of Hebrews picks up on this and says in, in chapter 12 there that they're actually cheering us on because we're running the race now. And they're cheering, cheering us forward. And then Paul finishes and he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And these two words, grace and peace, are so theologically rich and packed. Like they don't, they don't, uh, like one, one word doesn't convey everything we, just the richness of, of those words. So grace is normally defined simply as unmerited favor. Like we receive something that we don't deserve. That's just barely scratching the surface of what grace is. So it's a good entry point, but it's like coming to my house and, and just standing right, in, right <laughs> at the door like, and not seeing anything else. That's, so if we start with unmerited favor or receiving something we don't deserve, that's good. But grace is so much deeper and richer than that. It's, it's actually God giving us everything we ever needed anything, everything we ever needed, even though we didn't deserve it and we would never ever deserve it, and he's giving it to us because of his perfect love for us when we still don't deserve it. That's a little bit closer to what that word implies. And so when we see grace, that's that's what we should hear. Like God's giving us things that we would never, ever dream of for ourselves and ever attain. And he's giving it to us and we don't even deserve it. Now, peace is also a, a jam-packed word throughout the entire scriptures. It's, it's kind of built off of this. Uh, you know, kind of, when we think of peace, we may think of stillness or calmness, maybe like still waters. Um, but again, it's so much more than that. Uh, it's kind of built off of the, the concept of shalom in the Hebrew scriptures and how peace, how this shalom infiltrates every aspect of life and every aspect of living. And, and more particularly, Paul will bring it back up again in interpersonal relationships, which we'll, do, which we'll deal with as we go through the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, but he says, grace and peace to you. I think that's, that's how he phrases it. Yep, grace and peace, or grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he roots these in, in something that only God can give us. He says we can only receive these from God. And now he's giving them to the church. Now, the question is, how can Paul give these things to the church? Like, how can he give grace? If grace is everything that I just said it was, how can he actually be a dispenser of that? If peace is everything I just said it was, how can he actually bless them? Like, this isn't just a greeting. Paul is blessing them with this. And it's not just words. He actually expects to give them grace and peace. Well, it's because he's received it from God. And when God gives you something and you've received it from God, you get to give it to others. And so the more you understand God's grace, the more you get to give that to others. The more you understand God's peace, the more you get to give that to others. The more you understand God's love 
and his perfect love. And the more you live in that perfect love, the more you get to give it to others. And Paul said in this example, he says, I've received this. Now I'm giving it to you. I'm blessing you with it. Do you guys, like Paul is realizing what he has as a follower of Jesus. Do you guys realize what you have as the church? If you're a follower of Jesus, do you realize the power that you have as the church? Like Trinity Life Church, we need to realize what God has given us to give to our city. We're light, he says. We're the light of this world. We're salt. We're the preservative of God's culture and God's ways in our city. He's given that to us. We have grace, and no one else can give that type of grace to our city except the church. We have peace and love and joy, and no one else can give that to your neighbors, to your coworkers, to your families, to your friends, except you who's received it from God. And when you start to realize who you are as the church, who you are as a follower of Jesus, where your identity in Christ really is and what that means for you, you're actually going to start to live out your destiny and be able to influence this city and this world for the sake of the kingdom of God. And you're going to make a real difference in this world. But one of our biggest problems is we don't realize what we have in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1 uh, says that we've received every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Like every every one of them we have in Jesus Christ. Now, can you list those for me? Um, most of us can't list those. Maybe we should know what our blessings are so that we know what we, what we can give to others. And they're all, they're all laid out in this book here. And like, this is so key for Paul. And he's saying, I can give this to you. And now, Paul here, um, he's, uh, he's writing this letter to the church. And the church is, like the main impetus behind the letter, and we've subtitled this series, A Letter to the Church in Toronto. And, and so as we, as we look through this, through this letter, like, I'm viewing it as God, God has written this letter to Trinity Life Church, to us. And that's why I said we're going to have to hear some hard things. It's going to be discipleship. We're going to have to um, uh, do a lot of these things that Paul says in here. And he's going to conform us to Christ's image. He's going to mold us and transform this community. But the main impetus behind this letter, and Paul's encouraging them in some things, but he's correcting a lot of things that they're doing wrong. This is the first church in Corinth And they're not living like it. I mean, there's people, <laughs> you'll be, if you've never read through this book, and as a church, we're going to read through this book together. So if you're part of a body life group, um, we're reading, we'll start reading First Corinthians together leading up to, uh, or this week. Uh, so just a plug for body life groups. If you're not in one, check one out. Um, I talked to a few of you guys this week who, like, the nights of the week just don't work. Totally understand that. But you can still read through 1 Corinthians with us. Um, I'll actually post it in, in the, on the community page for you guys. But, uh, yeah, well, 
so as you read through this, you guys are going to see there's so many different issues that Paul deals with, and you're like, man, that is one messed up church. Like, there's people sleeping with their mother-in-laws in, in this book. Um, I don't think anyone in here is doing that, hopefully. But uh, there's, there's like all these, um, they don't know how to use their gifts, and, and they're using them in really bad ways. Um, there's all this stuff that's going on in this book that Paul has to deal with. And they're the first church in Corinth. They represent Christ. All this stuff that I said about who we are as a church, they're, they're that too. They were that. But they, they didn't look like the church at all. And so the question we should ask is, do we look like the church? Do we look like the church that the Bible says we should look like? And that's what this whole series is going uh, to be focused on, forming us into that church. Now, those, those statements I gave earlier that our identity is a lens through which you view life, if that's true, then if your identity's off, just a little bit, if it's not on Christ or in Christ and your identity is off and you have a different lens, then everything in your life is going to be off. So I'm speaking to you Christians right now who say that you are in Christ, but if your identity is in something else, then a lot of things are going to be off in your life. I think that many of our issues, sin issues, relationship issues, your personal problems, um, many of them, not all of them, many of them boil down to this issue of identity. And I'm not saying that, that you'll get rid of something because you understand your identity. I'm saying you'll deal with it differently. That you have a different lens for viewing it. And many of our issues, many of your issues in your life are gonna boil down to that specifically. So if you have relationship issues in your marriage, in, uh, at work, uh, whatever it is, um, if you actually ask that question honestly, use the scriptures as a mirror, and said, is my identity in if I'm right or wrong? Is my identity in if I have this position at work or not have this position? Is my identity in uh, how many hours uh, I work uh, during the week? Is my identity, whatever it is, if it's not in Christ, it's going to be often, it's going to skew everything else. And the writer of Hebrews picks up on this, and he says, if your identity is in Christ, you're of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Now, our problem is we keep on putting our identity in things that can be shaken, and things that are here today and gone tomorrow, and things that the world can take from us. And if your identity is in Christ Jesus, the world can never take that from you. If your identity is in Christ Jesus, it will not be shaken, ever. We're of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That's what the scriptures say to us. And that's the truth and the reality that you have and that you get to live in. That's a blessing from the Father through our Lord Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit. So I just want to encourage you and invite you to choose to place your identity in Christ today. And evaluate yourself if it's in something else. But choose to place your identity in something 
Christ Jesus, what He's done for us, the power of the resurrection through the Holy Spirit, gift from the Father in the unshakable kingdom, the eternal God throughout all generations. Your identity was lost, but now you can find it in Christ Jesus. And he offers that to you this morning. And I just invite you to choose, to choose that. Let's pray. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.